0: Uh, that's going up now Um, you can just look through and read that I won't read it through but it just tells us who Jesus is he did the whole thing folks he created everything and he even created and this is important for today's purposes he created the angels he even created Lucifer the prince of the prince of the angels the prince of perfection the prince of light but, but when God looks down to the cross, at the cross, he sees more than the horrible things that we see and hear and know about. What he sees is his son surrounded by sin. Two thieves either side of him, covered. The word covered was in the songs this morning. Covered by their own dysfunctional lives and their sin that hangs over their spirits like a bad cloud. And while the, the crowd is cringing at the sight of all that blood, heaven laments the darkness of their hearts. Friends, do you understand? That's what God sees. And earth pities their mangled bodies, but heaven weeps, so the condition of their souls. And that's what Easter is all about. It's about our sin. It's about the cross as the song. Beautiful song. Thank you to the worship team that wonderful song, it's about the cross, it's about our sin, and that's what Easter's about. I wonder if we understand the impact that our sin has on heaven. Um, You know, in several places in Scripture, well, all through Scripture, we have, it clearly displayed God's wrath against sin. We sang about it this morning, the word wrath was there, talking about God's anger with sin. Um, in, in, In one place... Jesus says about one of the churches who had become lukewarm and indifferent and apathetic, he said, you make me sick. I just feel like throwing up. God hates sin. He hates the atrocities that are the result of sin. He hates what sin does to us. Can you imagine how he hates methamphetamine? He must just absolutely weep what's happening to the nations of the world with this dreadful stuff he certainly hates what happened in Syria just a week or so back with those dreadful atrocities and the gassing of those children but if we hate that you can imagine how much more God hates sin his law violated his covenant broken people hurting people in pain God's wrath against sin And so we need to understand that Easter is about the cross. It's about our sin. It's about what Jesus did. You know, for many people, there is a fallacious idea that goes like this. God will overlook my sin. Now, I know down through the years, many, many times, I've talked about good enough is not enough. Ever heard that before? Anyone not heard that before? Don't say it like that. I expect you to know this off by heart. Good enough is not enough. But I want to just look at it at a slightly different perspective this morning because the question is never, couldn't God just overlook my sin? Because many people think that. The real question is this, how on earth, how on earth could forgiveness be possible given who God is? How on earth could forgiveness be an option for God given what we have done and our sin, and our failures. And the question is not why God might find it difficult to forgive, but how he made it possible. Just let me say that again. The question is not why God might find it difficult to forgive because of his nature, but how it is that he made it possible to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, friends, primarily is the message of Easter. How God deals with our sin that separates us from him. Let me just digress for a moment because overlook and forgiveness are not the same thing. Many people think, well, when I die, God's going to overlook my sin. Sorry, forgive my sin. They actually mean overlook, not forgive, which is quite impossible. God cannot overlook sin. We sang a little bit about that this morning. We've said so many times here in this house, God is light, in him there's no darkness at all. Nothing stained or tainted by any kind of sin or failure can ever come into his presence. He cannot overlook sin. The righteous requirements of the law must be satisfied, just as we believe they should be. We don't say to murderers, oh, sorry, we'll forget about that, you're free to go. We, how many people here think of our justice system and we often think, what's going on? You know, they let people out on parole and then they do it all over again. So if we expect justice, let's understand in God's nature, because he is holy, righteous, pure, perfect. He cannot overlook sin. So then when we come to look at the word forgiveness, we need to understand, as I'm sure you all do, that it's a two-way street. Forgiveness involves repentance. It precedes, Repentance precedes forgiveness. And we teach in this church, as we've taught over the years, we are saved from sin, after repentance, by grace, through faith, with assurance, to holiness and forever. And, and repentance begins by being convinced that we are sinners. Um, I was driving uh, back from... Actually, actually, it's amazing, isn't it, that... I believe there are people here today who who do not know Jesus as saviour and if you're here today let's do it today let's sort it out today I remember Pat Forrest got saved on Good Friday uh, in 1996 he came out the front I said what are you here for Pat he said I don't know it's all too hard I don't get it I said to him Pat don't try to understand it all just have a go at it he said oh is that what I've got to do? I said, yeah, just have a go at it. He said, oh, okay, I'll have a go at it. And now, of course, he's in ministry and so on and so forth. And so, so let's just understand the principle here that forgiveness is a two-way street. You have to repent. You have to come before God in repentance. And God cannot overcome. So I'm driving along because my computer fell on the floor. It fell right on the lead, lead and then I didn't notice that it wasn't charging anymore, and there I am working on my sermon, and all of a sudden in the afternoon, it says, computer shutting down, blah, blah, and all of a sudden, boom, it was gone. My sermon was gone. Everything was gone. So, that's why this message today must be significant. Who believes that demons can get into computers? (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, so, uh, long story short, because I don't want to take up too much time in this moment. But um, but uh, but my sermon was lost and I couldn't fire up the computer again because we couldn't charge. So my son Matthew says, take it to a, a phone repair man, not to Apple. I went to a bloke up at Underwood. He said, I think I can sort it out for you. And he rang back an hour and a half later and said, I've got it going, I've got it charged up. I went up and picked it up and redeemed the situation. So Satan But, but, uh, but on the radio while I was driving, uh, the Presbyterian minister from Ann Street, Presbyterian Church in Brisbane, was talking about sin. Steve Austin, who is a Christian, says, but what about all the people who don't believe in sin? What about the people who don't believe in guilt? Because, you know, if you're feeling made to feel guilty about something, that's horrible, isn't it? Isn't that an awful thing to do to you? And, and, and the guy was terrific. He just explained the simple message of the cross, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So, so, forgiveness starts with repentance. Repentance begins being with us being convinced that we are sinners. In other words, conviction. Followed by confession. Followed by contrition. This is the one thing that many young people miss out on. Contrition is godly sorrow. Being absolutely sorry for our sin and wishing and starting to hate it. The stuff that we're doing and we want to get rid of in our lives. And lastly, conversion. So God cannot overlook sin. It's against his nature. And people who do nothing about sin in this life, if you're here today and you've done nothing about your sin in this life, then you can't ask God to overlook it in the next. Because he can't. It's against his nature. So... From heaven's perspective, the tragedy on that terrible day was not that three men were about to die. The tragedy was that two of them were about to die die with unresolved sin, separated from God, defying his truth, resisting his call to salvation and to turn to him and recognise him for who he was. Um, And, you know, I was thinking about this because Pastor Steve was preaching a few weeks ago and he talked about the soul, the spirit and the soul, and the soul being the mind, the emotions, the will. Everybody do head, heart, hands. Go on, do it. Head, heart, hand, mind, emotions, will. You know, that's our soul. And when our soul takes control of us, that is our flight into independence from God. That is our self-centeredness. Instead of giving him the glory, we glorify ourselves. And sin, of course, is not some unfortunate mistake we make. Psalm 51, I I promised you last time I did this, I'll do this every time I get up to preach. I want to remind you of what sin is. Sin is your transgression, which is deliberate sin. It's your iniquity, which is your original sin of Adam, your sinful nature, inequity, you're out of balance. And then sin, the third one, you see in there, uh, the three of them are there, in David, uh, is our failure to reach God's standard. You know, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. How many of you here today know what God's glory looks like? The Bible says no one's ever seen his glory. We don't even know what it's like. So how on earth could we ever reach it? if We don't know what it is. You see, we're in it. Friends, we are in a very bad place. That's why this is a Good Friday. Because Jesus makes it possible for us to reach his glory. What a wonderful thing. So heaven sees in those two crosses the sin of those two men, the cloud of sin that covers them. The word cover was there this morning. But the, the person in the middle has no shadow of sin, none whatever. He was utterly without sin. And the next scripture, of course, is the one we all know so well. That he lived on this earth as a man, just like us, utterly without sin. And even hanging on that cross, that sinner's cross, I believe Jesus' purity and holiness just illuminated the whole whole scene. You know, so much so that in the, the reading this morning... The centurion looked up and said, surely this was a righteous man. And in Luke's gospel it says, surely this man was the son of God. Such was the illumination of this pure, undefied, holy person, our saviour, hanging on the cross. And somehow through the fog of pain, the first criminal saw the sign that we read about that says King of the Jews. He hears Jesus pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he, he feels like he's in the presence of the Messiah. Remember, Messiah means the anointed, coming, redeeming king. And he recognises Jesus for who he is. He heard at the trial, uh, Jesus say to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And now he becomes the first person. Uh, after Jesus died on the cross, into the kingdom of heaven, the first person to realise who Jesus is. The other crook, of course, has a different opinion. He is full of slander and venom and ridicule and cynicism. And the shadow of his heart is so thick, it covers him so much so, that Jesus wrote of these kind of people in John 3.19. We all know John 3.16, but John 3.19 says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And light, as I've said so many times before in Scripture, is often meaning holiness, purity, and perfection. And uh, I don't know whether uh, I've done this before here, but John 1, if you read John 1, verse 2 or 3, It says, in him was life, and that light was the light of men, or the perfection of men. Jesus is perfection. That's what he is. He is the perfection of us all. The other crook, of course, was there screaming venom at Jesus. And then suddenly someone tells him to be quiet. It's the first uh, criminal again. And he says, we're getting what we deserve. Now, if you're hanging on a cross about to be executed and you say, I'm getting what I deserve, it must have been pretty bad. It must have been pretty bad, but he is filled with repentance. And he says, this man has done nothing wrong. Let me ask you a question this morning. Was Jesus' trial fair? Was it fair? Did he have a defense team? Did he have a barrister? Who defended him? Those who might have defended him, like Peter, he'd run away. The disciples were nowhere to be seen at his trial, as far as we know. John reappears at the foot of the cross later. And those who were looking for him, this is the extraordinary thing, the Jews were looking for the Messiah. And there he was, in front of their eyes. They were on the prosecution bench. They were condemning him. Who defended him? Who defended Jesus? The answer is quite extraordinary because in a trial normally the judge is supposed to be impartial. See, The judge is supposed to hear all the evidence and all those sorts of things. But in this case the judge defends him. Pilate defends Jesus. I can find no fault with this man and declares him innocent and acquits him of any crime against the law of the day. Uh, Just a little aside, of course, because I've talked about this many times before, and again, you know, I encourage you to use these these images, but when you bring your lamb, your little lamb for sacrifice, you're waiting for the priest to, to examine the lamb and to say, I can find no fault with this lamb. Every Jew that read John's Gospel knew exactly what it meant when Pilate said, I can find no fault with this man. Almost the same words. They knew Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And again, it's a hidden plan. It was a hidden plan. The disciples didn't know what was going on and even, I might tell you now, the angels did not know what was going on. Unfortunately, of course, politics kicked in, as it does. Some of it would wish it had kicked in in Australia <laughs> and do something about our problems. But politics kicked in and Pilate washed his hands of the whole thing and handed Jesus over with no conviction. Um, that's why at the beginning I said there were three men, three trials, two convictions and one acquittal. When Jesus went out to be executed, he went out as an innocent person as far as law is con- the Roman law is concerned and innocent as far as God was concerned. I have, of course, many times talked about conscience here, and this is really a, a, a critical teaching that we need to understand. It's in the book of Hebrews. Go and read it. In fact, I've got to read Hebrews over this weekend right through. But when you bring your animal... It is an innocent animal without a conscience. So in other words, it hasn't been through what we've been through. It doesn't know right or wrong, which is conscience. But when Jesus went out to die on the cross, he went out as an innocent man with a conscience. You get it? A clear conscience, a clean conscience, so that the book of Hebrews can say that sacrifice was sufficient once and for all. So Pilate, the Roman judge, defended Jesus and now on the cross a crook, a crook, a criminal defends Jesus. He has done nothing wrong. Isn't that amazing? The judge defends him, the crook defends him but the people who should have didn't. Let's not be too hard on them folks because it was in God's plan. The hidden plan for the salvation of the world. And And Jesus He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And as I've said many times before, and I think I once said I'll preach it every Easter while I'm preaching every Easter, God gave uh, Jesus this wonderful gift on the cross. The first person into the kingdom of heaven as he hung on that cross and as he gave up his life for us was a crook, a thief. What an amazing thing. You know what that says? It says anyone... Anyone can get into the kingdom of heaven. You know, I was thinking about this and added in, in the side notes, but, you know, when the Nuremberg trials were finished and 12 Roman Nazi Roman generals were to be executed, they had a Lutheran chaplain. And I tell you today, it's a wonderful story if you ever get a chance to read it, Google it and read about it. But I think three of them went to the gallows confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Isn't that amazing? You get to heaven and there's three Nazis there cheering you in. Because anyone, anyone can come to Christ, confess him as their Saviour and Lord, but on the cross it was a hidden plan. You know, for those at the foot of the cross, if I may go for the moment to the foot, uh, they were... uh, I suppose, curious about the discussion between the thief and Jesus. They didn't understand that because after all they're about to die. What's all this about a kingdom? And those at the foot of the throne of heaven, the angels, I I reckon the angels were chafing at the bit. I reckon the angels just wanted to get down there and save God's only begotten son whom he loved. But the throne would not allow them. For them what was happening was outrageous They couldn't imagine probably How God could accept into the heavenly realms A thief His soul tainted by sin How could such a sinner be saved But then again it was the plan Before the foundation of the world And there's a couple of scriptures to remind us of that It's in other places as well Revelation says He was the lamb slain Before the creation of the world Peter says he was chosen before the creation of the world but has been revealed in these last times. I remember thinking about this this hidden plan and C.S. Lewis understood this because in the Lion and Witch and Wardrobe he got it exactly right, didn't he? Because there's Aslan tied to this slab and Susan and Lucy, is it, find Aslan there tied up and dead and they're absolutely devastated. an innocent one given for the life of the others. And then they come later and the slab is smashed and Aslan is gone. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls it a word that we probably don't like too much. He calls it the deeper magic before the dawn of time. You understand that this plan was conceived before creation. Before anything was, God had a plan a plan to redeem those he would create to love him. And just when Satan thought he was about to have a victory... By the way, Lucifer is the angel of light, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but Lucifer was the prince of light, the prince of perfection, the prince of purity who began... See this? Began in purity and has now become the seat of unspeakable evil. Whereas you and I... I was reading this little piece in India when I was there. I found this book and I'm reading through it and I found this truth, illuminating truth. When Adam and Eve came into the world, very soon, guess what happened? They fell into sin, original sin. So we started. See, Lucifer started in perfection and now is unspeakable evil. But we started in sin and one day God has a hidden plan. And that plan is to make us perfect, to call us unto perfection once more. And as those three hung on the cross, an extraordinary thing happened. Somehow, beyond all our reason and understanding, the sins of that repentant thief leave him and flow to Jesus. You know, I don't know how to explain this we don't understand it it's beyond reason layer upon layer of filth every evil thought every fantasy he ever had all begin to cover Jesus and the thing that makes God sick the thing that nauseates our loving, pure, wonderful God the thing that he hates about every else suddenly covers his only begotten son what a mess And for a moment there, Jesus becomes the most concentrated pool of evil in all history. And isn't it no wonder that he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But at the same instant, the purity of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, lifts and begins to cover the dying thief. Radiance, purity covers him. Just as the father put a cloak around the prodigal son to cover him, so God covers the thief and covers us with a robe of righteousness. Not just a clean coat, but we are covered with Christ himself. Paul says, For as many as you have been baptised into Christ, who've put on Christ like a garment... And the one with no sin becomes sin. And the ones who are sin-filled become sinless. That's why today is a good day. That's why today is a very, very good day. Good Friday. My sin covered by Christ's blood. Paul put it another way and we sang about this this morning because I heard the word curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us for it's written cursed is everyone who hangs on a pole. Christ took away the curse of the law. Changed places. You know when God sees sin a just God will either Punish that sin or assume it, take hold of it. And that's what God did. He became sin for us. And on the cross, God's hidden plan was revealed. And too late, Satan recognized it. And now he knows his future. And we know our future if we accept Jesus Christ as his son and as our saviour. Oh, it's a very good Friday, folks. It's a very, very good day. A very good day indeed. Whoever has the sun has life. And whoever does not have the sun does not have life. There was this man, very wealthy man, who bought all these paintings, famous paintings, Raphael and Turner and and Picasso and Van Gogh and those. He and his son used to have these paintings in their house. And then the Vietnam War came and the son was taken off to war. And uh, in a battle, he became a bit of a hero, saving soldiers from in a firefight. And as he was carrying one soldier from the firefight, he was shot and was killed. And uh, the father was advised of this, and he was grief-stricken. And then later, there was a knock on his door, and there was a young man. He said, Sir, I'm the soldier that your son saved at the point of his death and I have something for you. And he gave him a painting. It was not a good painting particularly, but he said, I knew how much you loved painting. And there was a painting when he opened it of his son. And the, the, the painting captured the essence of his son with his eyes and his mouth and so on. And the wealthy man offered to pay him, but, uh, but he said, no, 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 no. You could never, I could never be, ever pay you enough for what your son did for me and so some time later the man died and there was an announcement made for an auction of the estate and when they gathered for the auction people came from all over the world, all over places to see these famous paintings and bid on them and, uh, and so uh, the first thing to be auctioned by the auctioneer was the painting of the sun. and uh, he said well who will bid for this picture of the sun?" There was silence. People said, "No, we want to see the good paintings. We want to see the Picasso and the Raphael and so on." Who will who will bid for the sun? And and after after going backwards and forwards several times, finally from the back, a voice, the voice of the gardener, says, "I'll give ten dollars. That's all I can afford. Ten dollars. Anyone give twenty? 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 No. Going, no, going, 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 going. Once, twice, three times. Sold." And then he says, uh, and the people say, well, what about the rest of it? And he says, no, the auction is over. He who gets the sun gets everything. And if you have the sun, you have everything. 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 I hope today as we come to the end of our service and